Welcome to Screen Quest, a podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays film roulette. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman, joined by Will Rotondi. Hey, what's up? And May Finch. Hello, hello. Starring special guest star, Danny Lloyd and <laughs> Tony. <laughs> Tony's not here right now. <laughs> On today's episode, if you haven't guessed it already, we are going to be talking about The Shining, both the novel and the film, and deciding was the book better. In the interest of time, we are going to be skipping our opening segment and side quests so we can maximize our discussion time for the film and the novel. Very, very excited to get into this with you guys. So I am going to jump right in here and uh, remind me, have both of you seen the film prior to this uh, viewing? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to isolate the initial impressions to the novel itself and then like Trust me, we'll talk about the film tons as part of the podcast. So, uh, May, I'm going to go to you first. Give me your impressions of The Shining as a novel. So this is an embarrassing confession as someone who's pretty big into horror. I've not read that much Stephen King yet. Um, besides The Shining, I've only read Pet Cemetery so far. And I've noticed some interesting common threads between those two. Um, but my overall impression of The Shining as a book, like not even trying to think about how I would compare it to the movie, but just like as a book, it nails the perspective, um, at least I think from like the child perspective of Danny and like the perspective of Jack as he kind of is becoming more and more part of the hotel. Like I was just awed by that, um, there's certain parts of like Wendy's character that I, I didn't love, but um, overall, I thought it was a really well done book. Um, I thinking again about Pet Cemetery, I noticed that towards the end of his novels, King liked to have some kind of a race against time to intervene, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. And I thought it was interesting that Halloran was that character. Kind of coming in as an as an outsider very much in a lot of ways whereas in pet cemetery it's um the wife of the family and someone who's been kind of involved all the way along so feels more like a deus ex machina in the shining for halloran to come swooping in but mm -hmm. um it works and it definitely makes um for a more reassuring ending i think than if even if just like Wendy and Danny had gotten away on their own, I think there would have been more. Um, I would have had more questions about what lasting effect the overlook might have on them. Uh, well, May, I'm going to do you one better. I have never actually read a Stephen King novel before. So if, if this is the confessional, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
whoops, you know, um, but it's sort of, it's one of those things that's always kind of been on the list and I'm just terrible about putting stuff on the list and never actually checking it off the box. So, um, but I'm glad that this was a choice because I actually did like the novel. I like his writing style. I think it's very approachable where it's not something that's so simplistic that it's, that it becomes kind of dull, but it's, it's actually got, you know, substance to it. It's interesting. Um, I mean, it's about what, 600 and some pages long. And even for its length, like I thought the story was very well told and paced. I liked sort of watching the progression of the characters throughout the book. And by watch, I mean read, sorry. Watching the visual representation, the movie in my brain <laughs> of what was going on. Um, and I did, I just, I really... I liked it. I, I liked it more than I thought I would. And so it makes me want to go and read more of his work. Because I know, I mean, I know the guy's been famous for forever, right? Um, but I, I I think it was a good reason for me to go back now and do that. I, I feel the same way about what May was talking about with some aspects of the story with the characters. Um, not, you know, like Wendy's character being a little, you know, a a little bit more that you might have would have liked from her on some areas but uh without trying to compare it to the movie too just like uh surprised by just how i guess how graphic you know the book gets versus and I, i'm sorry it's i'm already going to compare it to the film but like how graphic some of it gets in the book versus what we see in the film and how just beat to hell some characters get before we get out of it um but no overall i liked it and i'm glad that i got the opportunity to do this especially as we're getting into spooky season so yeah i i love this novel as sort of like a loving homage to things like uh the haunting of phil house and uh follow the house of usher which are two mike flanagan properties uh mm -hmm. one of which i'm very excited about because it's coming out soon um, but I, I think it's just a really good ghost yarn, like at its core. And then it has some other King specific things that I really love. So may you touched on really great perspective from, from the child. He writes children very well. I think surprisingly yeah. well, where sometimes like in his books, they get a, like, you're like, ah, you seem like you're thinking and talking a little older than like you actually are. But for the most mm -hmm. part, he gets it right um so like i like i love there's like a, a line at some point i think towards the end where danny is like it's like his first adult thought and it's 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 such a beautifully written passage that like really like broke my heart um but uh yeah i i find this to be a fascinating book and like beyond just being a great ghost story uh because it, it's also autobiographical in a lot of ways it was him dealing with alcoholism at the time and like that's like something that like in my own family past and like my relationship with my father that like really resonates like, you know, with me as like a listener and um, or a listener, uh, a reader and like a watcher. And I, I think it is. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a really uh, surprisingly honest bearing of the soul um, in a lot of ways of Stephen King and what some of his fears were losing his family and just like dealing with a well, bunch of substance abuse issues i think years and years before he actually became sober too like he had mm -hmm. some awareness quite early on um but yeah it, it works well i like i i've read this a few times but it's probably been over a decade and i was glad that it, it continues to 
work well um, when I come back to it. Sometimes when you come back to something, you're just not sure if you're you got rose colored glasses and if it's going to hold up. So it's always nice when it when it does. Well, all right. So here's how I've tackled today's episode in terms of structure. Okay. So um, we're going to kind of go through first the characters and we're going to, I'm going to ask you to like compare and contrast. We're going to try to keep it to the Torrance family and Halloran, which I think really is the core, um, you know, that, that of, of the novel. We can give some, some quick honorable mentions if you guys want to uh, some of the uh, ancillary characters, but um, we're going to talk through that. And I want you to sort of tell me as we go through each of these sections, do you prefer the novel version or the film version? Right. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be as we go through one plus one plus one equals like, I like the film better or the book better. (laughs) Like you can totally be like out of these three things that we just talked about. I like the book version, but I still like the film more. Like that's up to you to decide Mm -hmm. as far as your final verdict goes. Um, but we're yes, we're going to talk about the 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 characters. Uh, we are going to talk about the Overlook Hotel as a uh, location. Okay, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about um, the structure of the book, specifically the setup, building dread, and then the finale, and then we'll give our final verdicts. So we're going to break it down like that. And if uh, I'm not too busy, I um, am going to try to do some shining esque transitions for the video episode with some music and uh font and stuff to to really you know evoke the feeling of of uh the kubrick film so we'll see how that goes if i if i am too busy i'm just gonna cut right over this (laughs) we'll never know (laughs) that was on the table (laughs) we'll know chris we'll know (laughs) (laughs) okay Let's talk about the Torrance family first. So um, obviously, however you personally want to compare and contrast them. And then like once we're done with the discussion, we can kind of do a quick little like micro vote on do we like the the novel version or the film version of the Torrance family? So, Will, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, pretty open ended as far as, you know, comparing and contrasting. So anything that stood out to you about the different portrayals and choices that are made as far as the characters individually and as a family unit. Um, so I can just start with a, a random character and we can go from there. Yeah. However you want to do it, man. Absolutely. Mm. I'm going to go with the easy answer, which is that Jack seems a whole lot crazier in the movie than like to start with than he does yes. in the book. Like, I feel like, and I, and I, I guess I'm sort of taking like the Stephen King criticism of the film that he had, which was that it's like Jack Nicholson playing Jack is just like, he already has crazy eyes at the beginning and he already seems like he's, <laughs> you know, a couple of steps away from just kind of snapping. So to see it all very much like it's all just pretty much there and waiting versus in the book where we get this gradual progression. Like we know that Jack has, has done some bad things and that he is reflecting on that uh, throughout the book and regretful for it. And then suddenly also angry about it again and just that, that cycle. And so we get to understand um, his inner I guess his inner struggle with it and his inner conflict with trying to rationalize, depending on his mood, 
and then how that's influenced later um, by the sort of demonic possession or just possessive spirit of the overlook or the just all the bad juju that's there and i think that for me i actually really enjoyed reading the book because of how more like how fleshed out his character was it felt more human to me and also you know even more of a tragedy because of that um for what happens ultimately to his character and just what he deals with too like along the way where he is like there's moments where he is coherent and moments where he's not and where he recognizes that and has to fight with that um and definitely not trying to like justify the choices that he makes because he he makes some pretty awful decisions but also just to sort of understand why and where that's coming from and then to make him more sympathetic in some respects about leading up to when things get absolutely bonkers uh but yeah overall I, I think for me i liked i liked having the book to to fill in that backstory and those gaps and that inner monologue um versus i mean don't get me wrong like i to watch the film and to watch jack nicholson it's also entertaining but i don't know if i had to choose between the two i'd have to go with the book yeah it's almost like the film they're like we need somebody who can convincingly be terrifying when they're going ape shit yeah uh jack nicholson you're perfect for that and they're like yeah but won't you see that coming it's that's fine like he like we'd rather have somebody who's convincing there and then like maybe not so convincing as like a loving father husband because <laughs> yeah. it's where the, the the horror has to come from i guess um as a sidebar I, like i like i noticed a lot of things i was really on the lookout for little easter eggs in the film um did you guys pick up the stovington shirt that he's wearing um in that wonderful uh... mirror shot where she comes in with breakfast <laughs> i love that shot but um but yeah he's like in bed with breakfast and there's a little stovington prep shirt which i thought was kind of a cool little nod to his character in the uh the novel and they don't i don't think make any mention of stovington at all in the film mm. they just mentioned he was a school teacher and that, that's about as much as you get i i feel i feel like book jack has plenty of early red flags too though especially like um so i i took your recommendation chris of like reading out loud with my partner and like taking turns which is very nice but he picked this book specifically the opening chapters and it's like oh great this is just a detailed account of child abuse <laughs> how lovely <laughs> yeah yeah um <laughs> what a way to bond right right I mean, i'm sure it goes over really well <laughs> um and like especially that first danny chapter when you're hearing his point of view when the arm break happens like yeah. that 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 made me hate jack like very quickly uh whereas with like jack nicholson you're just kind of like well he seems a little bit off maybe he just has like an unfortunate face like who who knows <laughs> <laughs> so i kind of i don't know i i feel like i was tipped off early like more with book jack but i also saw the film before i watched the book so that could be coloring it as well i'm not sure um i do think book jack ends up being more terrifying just because you see his whole inner monologue and there's times in the movie where you're kind of wondering what exactly is going through your head and then you read it in the book and it's like 
that's even worse than I thought. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely a more terrifying figure in the book. Um and just yeah, again with the vividness of King's writing, because I know the last time we had it was the book better with uh Pride and Prejudice. I felt like as good as the book was, like the characters kind of didn't have life in them until I could see that in the movie. Whereas, I don't know, there's something about King's writing, especially with the way he writes Jack. Again, maybe because he can relate to Jack in certain areas, at least with his own fears of like what his substance abuse would do to him. Um, Jack feels very flushed out and three-dimensional in the book, like maybe even more so than in the movie. So... Mm. I, I say book Jack. I um I, I definitely prefer book Jack to, to film Jack. And I, I think it's because you th- there does feel like there's a conflict happening with in the character all the way to the end, you know, where he's smashing his own face in with the, the rogue mallet. Um uh, whereas I think once film Jack starts like going over the uh the falls, like like the, he seems like it's there's no question of whether or not he's coming back. Like it just seems like a, a predestined descent into madness. Um, I really, really like the characterization of him being a second generation, at least of abuse with his own father mm-hmm. and him remembering what that was like and it coloring sort of his perspective on what kind of father he is to Danny, both when he's trying to be a better father. And then as he descends into madness of like, no, my dad was right. Like I need, like, this is what a child needs and sort of using that to justify makes it very terrifying. Yeah. Because often in cycles of abuse, like the person either breaks the cycle or continues it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you know, not to spoil too much of the sequel um, film, because I haven't read the book, but I'm going to read Dr. Sleep next and uh, I'm going to watch the film, I think, uh, maybe tonight. That is really, really beautifully, like, kind of continued in that story as far as, like, who Danny is as an adult um, and the experiences that he goes through. And I guess King, as an aside, uh, said that he felt like Flanagan's film, like, even though it was a continuation of the Kubrick film, like dealt with like where he felt like the the shining the kubrick film like fell short of like specifically with jack torrance and again mm-hmm. don't want to tell say specifically how but they do a really nice job of of kind of rounding out that character posthumously like where you kind of feel his like presence a little bit in a way hmm. um yeah i think the only other thing i i will add about uh specifically film jack and why i think he works great as like a sort of a monster that's chasing you in the hotel, but not as a, a human being is that uh, I don't feel like book Jack is an overall like nice or good person, but like you see some effort and he tries and you can kind of understand why Wendy would try to make it work given that they're probably still pretty young and they have this child. Whereas like film Jack, I'm like, I have a hard time buying that anybody would want to be with somebody like that like just and again i know we're getting a very small slice um of time but uh like it doesn't he doesn't quite feel 
not believable, but uh, I, I don't know. Like it just, I, it that part of it doesn't really work for me. Like I, I can't really like feel any kind of love or tenderness or real familial love there between him as like a husband or like a father the way that I do in the book at times. That makes sense. But all right. So I'm, I'm also saying book Jack uh, preferred. Um, I mean, besides the fact that Wendy gets like the shit kicked out of her in the book versus <laughs> like the version that we see in the film, like, um, I, yeah, she feels more fleshed out too as a character. Um, and it was funny because I don't know where I read it, but I feel like somebody's comparison from the book to the film was like, for the for the film they had to make jack crazy because they didn't have enough time to show the trend like the transformation and then they had to make wendy dumb because there's no way anybody would have stayed with somebody like that <laughs> and um so that just sort of stuck with me but and don't get me wrong because i like the actors who play these characters i think i think they were the right actors for it um i just i, I agree that i think wendy is I guess if we if we if we are believing the characters for how they're portrayed in the film, then I feel bad for Wendy believing that there was enough there to stick around for, even more so. And I mean, she she already has sort of like that, not necessarily like traumatized look, but just like that shocked look, you know, like kind of ghostly look through a lot of the film anyway, just because of the expressions that are going on and i guess also too technically because of how uh, kubrick was like how he treated uh, her as the actor uh, the actor actress i'm sorry i am tripping over my words <laughs> how he treated her like behind the scenes when they were filming and so i don't know man it's it's interesting to see a little bit more about where king wanted to take her character and have her shown as somebody who was a little bit more had a little bit more wherewithal and could still see that maybe there was something there with Jack worth trying to save. And then ultimately it's like understanding when it's time to just get the hell out and how much she cares about Danny too. So again, I'd have to go with, with book Wendy, but I can still understand, I guess, to a certain extent, understand and appreciate the film version just for the sake of time and for what they were trying to do for more shock value than anything else. I have lots of feelings about Wendy. Um, yeah, I I like the book version of her a lot. I do feel like I had a lot of moments in the book because it's so detailed. I was kind of like wondering what she was up to. Like, I get that like her main job is kind of taking care of Danny while um jack is the one actually like taking care of the hotel but um it seems like she didn't have much going on for her besides like being either worried about jack or worried about danny or both at the same time um which like it seems like she was uh right to be worried about both obviously <laughs> but um yeah i as as well as i think um the book handles how she ends up where she is with jack in terms of showing how she's very isolated her only other option is her mother who is also abusive and at least up until they go to the hotel definitely a lot more abusive than jack has ever been to her at least um 
and her just kind of generally lacking options, wanting what's best for Danny, and having the conflicting feelings of, you know, well, Jack's usually great, just one smile, it's his temper, so well, let's just control his drinking. And like, I think it, the, the book shows her kind of thought process and the complicated feelings she has like very well and like has a very good understanding of how abuse happens um in a way the movie does not <laughs> she's yeah she's just kind of portrayed as unsympathetic and dumb and and panicky um which I don't love but yeah just with with the book I I wanted to see a bit more from her as well I think um and I don't think that would make her any less sympathetic right because She's also someone that up until the end is still being like, well, I probably have to kill Jack, but if I can find any way to not kill Jack, that would be preferable. <laughs> <laughs> and like, even as Jack is trying to kill her is like reassuring Danny that that's not his dad, you know, and trying to protect his mental health as much as one can do in the overlook. Um, and yeah, she's a very resourceful woman as a book uh, version of the overlook puts it um and yeah i wish the movie had done more justice to that and that would gotten a bit more um kind of aspects of her outside her role as a caretaker resourceful is definitely the adjective i would use like as the biggest difference between like book wendy and film wendy like not to pick on poor shelly duvall but like even the way like she's holding the baseball bat like like her confrontation with jack is like almost like incidental or accidental with defending herself whereas like you see book wendy like i'm gonna sleep with a knife under my pillow and, mm -hmm. and she just has this awareness and sort of planning um even her discussion uh, with danny about his talent very early on and just being willing to to, to kind of believe in it and leverage it to try to make a decision if they should leave or or not is i think a very admirable quality that shows that she's much sharper than the film wants to sort of give her credit for or allow her to to show um that being said i do think that shelly duvall does a great job looking really scared you know oh like, yeah <laughs> she sells that i believe this person is terrified um so i think you know top marks for making that come across in a believable fashion at least for me it, it worked fairly well i don't have much more to add i think you guys both had good things to say and that brings us to one daniel anthony torrance which <laughs> is a revelation i don't think you get in the film i know it's discussed i think in dr sleep the film that his middle name was anthony and so there's like sort of the, the revelation of who tony is and like where tony has come from but um, May, I want to start with you, actually, with Danny. So I want to hear what you what you think of Danny, um, both as a book and film character, and which maybe you prefer. So this is where I'm the most torn, because the chapters of the book from Danny's perspective are just heartbreaking, because they feel like there's moments where I was transported back into like kind of how my kid brain would, would reason, yeah. and like it just the way he writes that perspective is the best I've ever read from anyone. Um, 
And it's funny because I, the first Stephen King book I read was Pet Cemetery because I was like, well, I've heard this is the hardest one to get to, especially in terms of like the kid stuff that happens in this. So I want to read that one first to kind of get out of the way. But I found this much scarier <laughs> for, uh, for Danny and from Danny's perspective um, and much more heartbreaking. And I feel like you also get a better sense of just how aware Danny is the whole time. Because you don't get that in the movie, really, because he doesn't say all that much of what's happening. He's being, like, intentionally withholding. And in the book, you see, oh, he feels and sees all of this. And these are the highly censored little tidbits he feels like he can say safely to his parents, which adds a whole other layer of horror, right? Because he's also kind of scared of his parents and losing what little autonomy he has. And uh, I just, I really feel for Book Danny. <laughs> Um, but on the flip side, um, as, as well as that perspective is written, I do feel like there are moments when he's like a little too aware or reasoning a bit too well for his age. Um, and especially I think towards the end that started to feel like a little bit less coherent for me. Whereas in the film, he's always clearly like a little boy and that, um, Distance isn't really an issue for me, at least. Um, also, just um, I think Danny Lloyd is the name of, of the kid. So also Danny as, as a first name, which is cute. Um, I mean, he does a great job with the whole thing. And um, I do think the strongest moment of the film um, in terms of like the fear I feel isn't the final chase, but it's when Jack has Danny in his lap and their kind of on-screen, I guess, lack of chemistry uh, there is just very frightening, and that's almost all body language, and I have to give Film Danny a shout-out for that, because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. But he's, like, uh, I, he's like, uh, is that what your mom said, and I would hurt you? And he's just like, I would never, and he's like, I wasn't worried until you started reassuring me, really. <laughs> that's kind of the... <laughs> the body language that i pick up on that sorry mm-hmm. i didn't mean to cut you off no i was gonna just gonna say so i'm very torn i think they have different strengths as characters um but slight lean towards the book can i just ask who gets a wasp nest and keeps it in their room thank you yeah <laughs> was that a I, thought, I thought you were gonna say me you were gesturing me and i i told you i had an unorthodox childhood but it did yeah. not include dried wasps <laughs> nests yeah yeah well, that's I was a really interesting that was like thing. A, like an actual thing like mm. maybe it's an antiquated thing um you can interpret that in a lot of different ways you know depending on if you think that the hotel like is like resuscitated the wasp or does did jack subconsciously like put it there because he wanted something to happen or i don't i don't know like did the hotel make him think he used the bug bomb and then allow him to carry it down and you know there's a lot of weird, weird ways you can interpret that but it is a very strange uh mm. gift for your your five-year-old <laughs> child <laughs> Or if it's just like foreshadowing to when he's having the flashbacks about his dad and how his dad would deal with that, but and in some weird sort of tangential way. Yeah. I don't know. 
figured I'd throw that out there as a quick question since we're since that did inadvertently become like like a weird little turning point in the book, or at least at the beginning, as as we're seeing more and more of like the the dread like seeping into the mysterious ways of the overlook. But um yeah, I like I like Book Danny as well, just because of how he's written. I do agree about some places where it felt like some of the language that was used made more sense for his age. And then some of the language changed the way that it was narrated. And then um, some of the thoughts that he had where it felt like it was a little bit more, okay, it's a little bit more adult than it might've been before. And maybe in some ways I didn't think too much about, about it, but I guess in reflection, like if that's supposed to be some, if that connection that he's got with himself in the future, since Tony is, is him down the line trying to reach back out then maybe that there's a little bit of that going on too or maybe his 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 brain development's a bit different than than most people's would be because of that so that would be the only way i could think of to maybe argue the point about why it's written that way or not but um no i like how he was written i i agree that though watching in the film sort of the same way similar to watching wendy's character being terrified like i i believe the i believe the peril that he feels as a kid in the film going through all this weird stuff that's happening whether or not it's the same things that happen in the book and we can talk about the differences with that too like if we're thinking you know his fear about the fire hose in the book versus his fear of the two it's the two grady daughters right who pop up in mm-hmm. the film and and follow him down the corridor so but yeah i i do like that i think the only drawback for me truthfully is is tony like i i like understanding tony more in the book and i found it a little frustrating not really seeing more of that in the film version and i can understand if that's just an artistic decision because of time constraints or just because you don't think it really fits in with the overall pacing and plot but for me i kind of wanted to know what was going on like is is Danny losing his marbles too, or is he like talking to somebody? And where where is Tony? <laughs> Why is Tony like talking out of his finger? <laughs> and so, yeah, that to me was sort of, I guess, if anything else, it was nice. It was like a nice little layer of being like creepy, and maybe creepier because it's never really explained and open to interpretation. And I just need to accept that Kubrick likes to do that sometimes when he's just like. I'm just going to give you this visual, you know, um, I'm just going to set the scene and we're going to have some stuff happen and you can interpret it however you want to, you know, um, but I think overall, yeah, I keep, I know I keep going back to it and saying I like the book better with this. I have a suspicion I know how it's going to turn out, but I do like Danny in the book a lot. So that's going to have to be much choice. I'm not going to be one to differ with, uh, with either of you um, on this point i do think danny lloyd does an excellent job and it's all the more impressive when you realize that he actually didn't know he was in a horror film they protected (laughs) him from that so kubrick being a really great director made him think he was in a family drama and just gave him direction that would allow him to express himself and act in a way that like the child actor thought he was doing one thing in a scene but actually like you take those facial expressions and things and then like apply it to something else. I thought it was kind of nice that they protected him from that. Yeah. Um. And, you know, through sort of like trickery, 
make you you know like you as the viewer watching like through editing um that he's seeing and going through something very different than what the child actor did um yeah book danny like the way Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't know that fact, and um, it's very sweet for the kid, Danny Lloyd. But I feel like as an adult, like I'd be like, "Wait, so I got duped into being into a, in a horror movie?" I didn't know. <laughs> you lied to me. <laughs> yeah, he was only in I think one other film after this, and like he's like a professor in Kentucky or something now. But he goes to horror conventions and stuff like that, and seems okay. to be a good good sport about it. Um, very much like Carrie Henn, who played Newt in Aliens. Like he Aww, yeah. had this one, you know, film that he loves and has sort of stood by, but like n- didn't have any interest in pursuing it. But, I mean, if you got to do a one and done, what a what a film, right? Uh, yeah, I've always interpreted Book Danny's um, sort of like weird perspective change or like his more adultness is like it's got to be a very confusing thing as a young child to to feel these adult emotions so powerfully mm-hmm. um it's like there are times where he like goes peeking into people and then sometimes where it, like it's just like it almost seems involuntary where he picks up stuff and i imagine you're you, you would probably gain some emotional intelligence a little bit faster as a child just by virtue of experiencing that so that's that's mm-hmm. my interpretation or explanation that being said yeah like there there were a couple times where it's like mm, even so, like, I don't, I don't know that it, like this is the diction that I would like, you know, use like necessarily. Uh, but hey, it's hard. It must be very hard to write a child. So no faults of kings. Like that's that's a difficult task. Uh, I do prefer book Danny over film Danny, just because like Will, I I like the extra sort of context and. and uh, information of what he's going through like Danny is almost sort of like a canvas for the audience in a lot of ways like in that like you know we get to experience the horrors in the film like the way that he does without his sort of insight so we get to see you know the thing in room 237 we get to you know see the ghost and and all that um without sort of his inner monologue or you know thought process and i think that allows you to keep enough distance to still be scared in a way that like might be harder to to tackle in a film like i don't know um that's it like all these characters in general like you don't really get a lot of their motivations in the film it seems to be a very straightforward sort of telling of of the Mm -hmm. story and you're just you you like you get just the external emotions and and that is that's it um that's not necessarily a bad thing um because i'm gonna include tony with the character of danny yeah also um i find movie dan or tony more scary and mysterious um and i find like the uh the book tony to be more um that's the word i'm looking for yeah <laughs> a bit more of a plot device like i i seem to remember like before rereading it like tony having more straightforward interactions with danny in the book and a lot of it's just sort of him saying his name from far away and then like he sees some stuff and then danny danny So I think I actually prefer movie Tony, just because he's more creepy, I guess. But I did like yeah. the explanation of like where Tony came from and the like as being kind of a cool, it's a cool thing, um, cool revelation. 
I was honestly hoping for more direct, like a like if he was going to have a conversation at some point with Tony, like an actual conversation. And when it didn't, when it didn't happen at all, it was like he saw him and he recognized him for who he was. But that was it. And I kind of felt like I got robbed a little bit on that. <laughs> I was like, wait, you didn't have a conversation with your future self? Come on. <laughs> I'm hoping for more of that in Dr. Sleep, honestly. Like, I'll be curious to yeah. see, like, how that connects, like, in the novel yeah. versus, like, the the, the movie kind of just has, I think, like, a little nod to, like, I don't remember exactly how it comes up. But it does come up and you're like, oh, like, if you hadn't read the book um you would kind of understand but i don't think they do much with it so i'm curious to see if like the novel has him sort of interacting with his past self or like explaining any of that or like how that is all going to work so let's talk about uh, a character that I suspect is going to fall where the rest of them have so far <laughs> from book to screen, which is uh, Mr. Holloran, Dick Holloran, the Overlook's head chef portrayed by the wonderful Scatman Crothers in, uh, in the film. Uh, I, this is the character that's probably the easiest choice for me from like book to screen um, because of his fate, like his ultimate fate. <laughs> so... <laughs> 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 I'll uh I'll pass it over to Will. You can go first. I mean, uh, you know it's hard for me because I like the I like I like how he's portrayed in the film. Yeah, because I like I like the interaction that he has with Danny, and I felt like that was very honest to the book. Yeah. And I liked I just I liked the connection of watching them to watching both of them on screen. I thought that was beautiful. And then he gets an axe in the chest. <laughs> <laughs> like why did they Dude, even do that i like uh, i had to throw your popcorn moment because we had just finished the book yeah in a way like i've always hated like the handling of him in the film but i really hated it having so recently read the book because yeah. he goes so far and there's so much and it's over so fast it's just yeah. like worst trip ever dude like this <laughs> poor guy but i agree with you i think what makes it all the more like frustrating is like those early interactions are so great between him and Danny Lloyd. He's so warm and believable as that character. Like he, like he's the portray. He's knocking it out of the park. Where you're like, ah, oh, man, this is cast so well. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump in there. I just had to like. No, you're good. I, mean, I was pissed last 100%. night. <laughs> <laughs> and that's yeah, that's how I felt too. Because like you know, and for me, I had watched the film, so I'm thinking maybe in the book he's going to get off the same way, and I kept waiting for it. And in the book, when he has these premonitions, like, I should write my will, and I should do and I'm like, oh, God, really? Is this how it's going to go? And then I was so pleasantly surprised that it was the complete, like, 180 from that, you know, where it's like, ah, oh, fake out, but the other way. <laughs> and so I was, yeah, I, I liked it more, because I feel like there was more, um, I'm trying to think of how I want to explain it. I just felt like there was more of an evolution of the character with in relation to Danny too, like that relationship and um, where it could go at the end of the story for what's going to come after that. So I, I don't, I, I, I just, I really liked his character in the book, the way it was written. Um, and also just, 
sort of his journey to try because <laughs> he does, he goes through so much more in the book just trying to get back to the hotel than it really is shown in the film i mean it's still a lot but at the same point it's like it felt like that in and of itself was a journey for him and all this that's leading up to it and then dealing with like the you know having to get the snowmobile and fend off the 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 hedge animals that come alive and you know all this other stuff and then i thought man and if they still kill him at the end of the book i'm gonna get so pissed <laughs> and then he I was has like, more to do like i remember the first time i read the book i was like all right like i'm not gonna like it but at least like he shows up and like does something other than just walks across oh. the lobby and just like <laughs> it's acts like i don't know like, come on, man, your shining force powers are not so good to see that that axe coming around the corner. Like, come on, man, you know, but yeah. So and I think it was interesting, too, in the book, like him recognizing other people that had the shining or like a touch of the shining or however we want to phrase it, like force light or just like a little <laughs> bit of a little bit of something going on there. And I thought, OK, that's cool. I could see you building a world almost, you know, with with that and. For him in the film where it's just him and Danny and you don't really get much more of any sort of like, you know, whether you want to call it ESP or whether you want to like however you want to define what it is that they have, that ability is not really shown to be anybody beyond them. And so I just thought that was that was more fleshed out in the book, too. And I enjoyed that part. But yeah, I mean, it's it's this, to be honestly, isn't the easy pick because I really like the actor i really like the portrayal in the film and but it is it's it's the axe to the chest man that kills me no pun i mean just like it, ah, it frustrates <laughs> me so hard is there a way to say 50 50 on that like i like the book sure. version but i like the oh i'll split sure man <laughs> i can't choose if i could just combine them both you know but oh man and i think that that's a long-winded answer, but I feel like Kubrick, there was something about how Kubrick wanted that to be like a shock value thing, wanted that to be a, uh, I'm going to dangle some hope out there and then I'm going to take it away. And now, oh, if he's going to get killed off, anybody could go kind of a deal. And so, yeah. So Kubrick gets a style point for chaos with this one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because, it, ah, so Again, loves Gavin Crothers. I do think that he really embodies Halloran in a great way. Um, but you don't, you see so little of him at the start. And like, you can tell in the book that they are frequently thinking about Halloran. So he kind of comes back, you're reminded of him. Whereas in the movie, I was kind of like, oh yeah, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And so his importance wasn't super clear. And then he's rushing to the overlook and at least when I saw the movie before reading the book, I was like, I don't know why this guy cares so much or why he's so mm. concerned. Like, it yeah. just seemed a bit odd. Um, and then, yeah, he gets there and he's just instantly off. And it's definitely unsettling and kind of, like, makes you uh, see, like, the huge contrast between, you know, Jack being what should have been mortally wounded and still going versus this guy who just, single blow, he's down. Like, he's not coming back. Um so yeah, it's it, it introduces chaos and can definitely like get your viewers kind of like, you know, wondering which way it's going to go. 
but I just don't think in the movie he got enough like weight or explanation or like there needed to be something more to him before they axed him. But I also didn't find myself caring that much about Halloran in the book for like the early chapters again until we get like more on him towards the end. And then I'm annoyed at getting so many chapters on him because I'm like, things are really heating up at the Overlook. This is background (laughs) I would have loved to have had before things got dicey because now I just want to know what's going on at the Overlook. And I actually sped read those chapters because I wanted (laughs) to find out what was happening (laughs) with the Torrances. So yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't love the, the pacing of his character in either the book or the movie. But yeah, I think I'm going to go against the grain and go for movie Halloran in this one because at least Scatman Crothers brings a lot of energy to the role. And even if the pacing is odd, not quite sure why he's there. He's there. He has good on-screen chemistry. And like that justifies him a bit more to me. He has amazing uh art in his house too man just those the 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 big titty afro women like i was just like dude that's a guy who's committed to a vibe right there <laughs> like <laughs> oh my god amazing um yeah I, i'm probably gonna be a split too because like i don't think it's scatman crothers fault like at all i think he embodies that character beautifully and leaves a really good lasting impression for what probably doesn't amount to more than 10 minutes of screen time i would imagine like or probably around close to that um i do think it was a choice like for shock value uh, as you said will i think you hit the nail on the head there um it's just kind of a bummer i wish he had more to do before that happens uh i just like the epic fight with like the hedge animals is such a cool like thing in the the book um and like I don't know. Like, I think I'm a little colored too because you get like a really great cameo of Halloran and it, where uh, Mike Hanlon, the um, the young black boy of the group, is talking to his father, and his father's like, "I served in the army with this guy Dick, who would get these funny feelings sometimes," and like you get like this really cool flashback where he has a heroic moment, like with Mike's father, and like you know, like in the past. So I think also like I see that character is like bigger because you know king likes to do that he's got his whole little shared universe of of things going on but i think i'm split overall as well because i think scatman carlers does such a good job and maybe is like the seems like the most faithful like interpretation of any character in that film from book to screen even though he has like the least amount of screen time And that brings us to the Overlook Hotel as a character, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll transition to the plot. I might combine the the plot overall for the sake of time, but I do want to talk about the the Overlook Hotel as a as a place because it is very different in a lot of ways from from book to screen. So, May, you could take this one first. I'm really glad that I watched this film for the first time before I had read or watched Hill House. And then I read and watched Hill House. Then I read The Shining and then I watched the film again. Because um, like you mentioned before, it is uh, in large part an homage to Hill House, right? Um, and like the the Hungry Hungry House story is such a hallmark of horror. <laughs> and <laughs> um, I, I feel like in the book, 
like the lines are wonderfully blurred between how much agency the hotel has, how much agency Jack mm-hmm. has, right up till the very end when it's very clear that his body is no longer controlled by by him, right? Like there is some force from the house possessing him. Um, and it's a bit different from what you see in things like Hill House, right? Where, um a place can like drive people to do things, but they still are largely in control of themselves. They might have certain proclivities they wouldn't normally have, but um, it, it you still have some autonomy and are kind of like convinced through various psychological devices, not actually controlled like Jack is at the end of the book. Whereas in the movie, um, I think it seems more like the hotel is pretty straightforwardly just corrupting Jack. Jack definitely has like this immortal tie to the hotel, which is alluded to in the book as well. But um, like, I think they both have that very, uh, I think they have the word work for word, same line about like, oh, you've always been the caretaker um, from the other ghosts. So like, it's unclear again, just like how much of Jack is actually Jack Torrance the human and how much is, the hotel as an entity which is interesting um and yeah i just i love the blurred lines there and how unclear that is and i feel like i don't really love how the movie did it because it tries to kind of imply that with that last shot of you know jack in that old historic photo in the in the ballroom i'm like cool yeah that's a cool shot but i don't it it feels like just kind of a hand wave like oh he's always been here physically when that doesn't make any sense <laughs> it's more shock value like it, like it, it's a mo- it's a moment that like everyone kind of loves because it's like iconic yeah but it doesn't it's not entirely earned i don't know it's not so yeah looks cool kind of hate it from a storytelling perspective but i love the overlook hotel in the book i think it's a very well written building character and one like little detail we got in the book that I really appreciated was Danny having like safe and unsafe parts of the house because mm-hmm. um, again that kind of relates to like how you think ghost stories are typically told with ghosts being tied to like the rooms that they occupied or were killed in but also like being a little kid and scared of haunted houses and stuff like that was a very relatable feeling of like oh this is a dangerous room because like it's next to the water heater and that makes weird sounds, but this room is fine. It's very quiet. It's, you know, got, got Mm -hmm. my nightlight here. It's a safe room. (laughs) And it just, it was a cool moment of Danny seeing the house for what it was, but also kind of feeling like that uh, little kid perspective was embodied really well again with regards to how he was seeing and feeling about the house. I actually like the character, like understanding more of, these echoes of other characters that used to live there or stay there like watching the film and having no sense of understanding as to why this guy's in a dog costume and (laughs) doing something sketchy with this other guy in a tuxedo in in a random room which i mean you know you do you no no shame um (laughs) but having no context for that And then reading the book and be like, oh, okay. So this guy was actually like this one chapter in here. And oh, I understand like, okay, this background. And, you know, so that to me, I was like, it's kind of like in the film, it's a little nod to the to the novel, but I kind of wish that the film had a little bit more um, substance 
to some of those little not necessarily i guess cameo but like reference um to the book and that version and also to sort of like the the building dread about how if you don't take care of the overlook it's going to explode <laughs> liking that sort of like i don't know that that sort of um because you know you you know when something like that is set up typically that's going to be the problem at the very end and so having that always on the back of your mind about okay so what's going to lead up to it and how's that going to you know what's it going to look like when it does explode and versus in the in the film it's just this slow building dread about jack going even more crazy and some of the random ghosts that may or may not pop up there but yeah no i thought the the over the overlook in the in the novel is much more menacing and even with the hedge animals too like that sort of that that danger that was there and i apologize that i probably should have looked up as to why they ended up changing that was it just for stylistic reasons was it budget or did they decide that they thought a creepy looking hedge maze was going to be more interesting and mind bendy than like trying to animate some hedge creatures i don't have an answer as to like the specific why i could can certainly guess I imagine the special effects would have been a bit of a bitch back then to try to mm. make that convincing. Um, to your point, it could have also been like, I don't know that that's the kind of thing that Kubrick would vibe with necessarily. That seems a step too far even for, for him in terms of like, I, like look, a lot of the things that uh, with the overlook in the film are a bit, fr- like coming right off the novel again, like we're a bit frustrating for me where it's like, sometimes he goes, Oh yeah, there should like there, like this is kind of a ghost story. So let's let's throw a room with cobwebs and skeletons in it, like just mm-hmm. to remind you that like there's like a supernatural presence here. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always feel as well thought out as like like the the room two three seven, which I think is a brilliant sort of like book to screen like interpretation of that. But I would guess probably special effects constraints and maybe just stylistic taste of of Kubrick as a director. He seems yeah, to be I... more and. In- Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, I was just going to say, I, I noticed that he did kind of steer away from the supernatural events that weren't like human driven and like put in mm. like like the little girl ghosts, and, like trying to like make the supernatural stuff like have a face to it. Whereas like, I will say as much as I love the hedges in the book, it's difficult to have that in the movie and it not come off like a little cheesy. <laughs> A little, yeah. a little campy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's more it's a more terrifying thing when your imagination can kind of fill in the the blanks a little bit. Um the one thing I was disappointed that wasn't in the film that I thought was was the uh, the playground like thing that's in the um, the stone circle sounds horrible, like where it's mostly just the presence of it that you're feeling hmm. and not so, like it's never really described clearly. Um that that uh yeah probably one of like the highest creep factors for me in like the the book but i'm sorry we'll continue i think if you got if if you did the lighting where it's like you know the the typical horror movie where there's something that you can see stirring but you can't really make out what it is and it's just kind of lingering there and these little jump scares then maybe that and you partner with the guys who made like the original alien 
for the alien and aliens films like those guys doing that design work then maybe you could get some creepy hedge animals <laughs> that don't look hokey but will demand yeah. a remake i oh man i'm all for it get some animatronics <laughs> and you know like oh or like Just the guys uh... who did the thing you know like that oh, yeah. That would, I mean, I could, I could see that working out. I think but. if you could like make it so that like the teeth were like bits of like broken like branches and things like that, you could yeah. probably come up with a cool design to make it properly scary, where it doesn't feel like it's just an yeah. amorphous like bunch of leaves that are trying to gnaw on somebody, which doesn't seem very scary. Um, I've never actually seen the other adaptation of The Shining. Um, I've been like just too afraid that i'd find it to be a waste of time but there is another adaptation of it that they did as a tv miniseries that was very close to the book but i don't know how they handled the hedge animals that's one of the things I've always been curious about is if they're in there and like what it, what, what it would be like and yeah. might be something to have with like a <laughs> a drink or two and then just dive right in <laughs> it's quite long curious, so i think man. it was like multiple episodes so i think it's like probably like four and a half five hours something like that Hmm. maybe maybe a project uh for us like listen let's do like a let's do a field trip next year there is a uh a halloween ball at the stanley hotel which was the inspiration for the overlook yeah. like annually with like costume contests and stuff let's go out there stay and then like we'll do like a drunken like screening of the miniseries <laughs> and then we could we could record a podcast right after How's i that don't sound? know ball at stanley <laughs> hotel is it masks off at midnight yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know somebody's going to that costume party as the dog as the dog like, <laughs> absolutely oh. hope they take full advantage of that like you know just oh, preferably no. a furry like just go full tilt with it bro like <laughs> like enjoy yourself you know what i mean <laughs> like you only live once <laughs> um, nice um so you guys touch on most of the main points for the overlook hotel the things that i liked or didn't like as the setting um i do think the hedge maze like if you're going to have a, a substitution for the the animals is, is kind of an inspired choice because it is a great plot device for the end of the film which we'll talk about um in the finale it does make up for a very exciting bit of viewing um i really prefer the book uh plot line of the overlook's history as being part of Jack's obsession. And again, another little tiny thing that I caught when he's at his writing desk, uh, like early on, there's a scrapbook on the table that's open. So I kind of wondered if they had like started down that path of having that as a plot point and abandon it. But like I paused it and I was like, oh Marianne, look, 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 look. There's newspaper <laughs> clippings. It's a scrapbook. Like holy shit. Like I've never noticed that. Um everything was just so fresh, obviously. So I was yeah. trying to look for everything that I could. Um, but I really like that as a plot device as to like kind of bring Jack along before he's noticeably gone off the deep end to to kind of become obsessed with all the bad things that have happened. And it makes those encounters later in the book really stand out and have meaning and significance because you understand who these people are, what happened. Um, even the you know, the woman in room two three seven who's just really scary in the the movie is kind of tragic and sad in yeah. the, the book, like the the history of that. So um yeah, I really liked all that. Uh I do I will say the design of the Overlook Hotel is brilliant um in the film. Like I love just the look like of I mean it's such a memorable location that was inspired by 
several different hotels. Like the exterior was a hotel in Oregon called, I think the Timberland uh, mm. Lodge. And then like the lobbies and some of the other, like like the Colorado lounge and stuff were from other hotels where they had, were heavily inspired by, like they're almost identical if you look at photos like side by side, uh, but they're just movie sets and they're really good movie sets. Like, it, like I did, I was telling Marianne last night, like it does not feel like you're looking at a movie set right there. Like mm-hmm. you can fully feel like that is in the mountains of Colorado and um, mm-hmm. really, really, really cool. So I, I think the overlook as a physical location works very well in the film. Uh, but I, I like the, the more layered version that we get in the book, just because again, like a lot of things in the book, there's just a lot more to understand and kind of grapple with anything. You guys want to add about the overlook before we talk about the plot. Would you stay there? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I just suggested that we stay at the Stanley hotel. <laughs> so um, <laughs> no, would like I stay during, there during the normal season, not as caretaker, but during the normal oh. season, would you stay at the overlook? Do I know that it's haunted or like supposedly haunted? Let's say you've heard the reputation about as much as Jack <laughs> finds out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I feel like I, I probably would. Like with regular guests there and everything. Sure. I'm a skeptic, so oh I see. I I let my imagination run a, a little too much away from me when it gets dark in places. So uh, it's a 50-50 on that. I might do it to try and like scare the crap out of myself, but I don't know if I'd be happy that I did. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, there's so many resorts in Colorado. There's got to be one that's not haunted. Like, I, I'm just going to nope. go there. I came to relax. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not be traumatized by ghosts of days past. So, like, yeah, for curiosity's sake, I would do it. Yeah. But I mean, otherwise, kind of sounds like a sweet gig as a caretaker. I mean, you have all that time to yourself and just have to make sure the whole place doesn't go up. So, right? Just <laughs> gotta let the press <laughs> off or whatever. Steam <laughs> out so the place doesn't blow up. <laughs> Seems like a bad design flaw. Yeah, I know, right? Like your job is to make sure every day it's like hitting the button and lost. You know? Yeah. (laughs) And if you miss it, we're all dead. Well, let's talk about the plot of the uh, the book and the film and how they stack up. Again, for time's sake, we'll probably just combine it into, you know, like one, you know, just the plot period, the end um, of each of the tellings of this story. So I'm curious to hear uh, not only like what you prefer, but... Um, pacing i know has kind of been touched on already and then maybe like scariness like like or like sort of your fear level um overall like what which do you find scarier i think ultimately i find the book more disturbing than i find the film i think the film in a lot of ways tries to be terrifying and maybe it's just because i'm desensitized to so much that i've seen over the years that i don't find it that um malevolent or intimidating or scary um 
I just find a lot of it to be sort of in a weird way. Some of it's kind of goofy, like just leave, <laughs> go away from whatever's there versus in the book where I feel like you can't get away from it. Like it will follow you or it will also like assault you physically. And so that to me, I, I found to be much more terrifying or there's just things that you feel are there that you don't know what they are. And to me, that would that's much more terrifying um i think pacing wise for the film overall i think it's done well um and it's interesting because it is very much still like you know it's a it's a big name in terms of film history but also just in terms of that style and so i can't necessarily knock the film too much even though it's not really like a favorite of mine uh but i do like the pacing in both like I feel like for the film the pacing works I feel like for the book even though it is a very long book I never felt bored with it and I always felt like things made sense there is sort of like I actually I like the fact that they when you talked about getting frustrated about these like other chapters where we're talking about Dick and his you know what he's going through and you're like no 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 no, no. hold on <laughs> 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 what are you doing let's, let's backtrack over I actually think that's that's I don't know there's something that that says something good about the the way the story is unfolding, right? Where you're just like, you're almost annoyed, but the author has chosen to like sidetrack for a minute. And you're like, no, 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 go back. Go back to what you were just telling me, you know? And so I just find that very, I like that. And I, I, I don't know more to explain other than I just, I, I think that's, I guess it's a sign that it was building up well for you, you know, like, mm -hmm. and then to have something that just sort of cuts in the middle of that, that you, you, do you want to go back to where you were before that says something about what was being written before as well as it was. So I guess, I think overall, I still, I do like the book, but I think that the film isn't to be completely knocked for what it is. I just think that it's an unfortunate adaptation of, of like the basic plot points, but stuff I would have liked to have seen much more of for the overall plot and to understand the malevolent force that's there and then ultimately, too, to just kind of understand where it is that we end up at the very end. Because, you know, you talked, Chris talked about like the the image, the photograph where suddenly we see Jack's character there and the sort of the the ambiguity about, OK, so he's always been the caretaker. Does that mean he's always been here, like physically always been here? Is he reincarnated from somebody that used to be here? Is he like what 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 does that mean? And then, whereas in the in the book, it's a little bit more just like, no, now you're just becoming like part of the, you're just joining everybody else. You're joining this like very strange malevolent force that's possessed everybody that's that's been there. So, or several people that have been there. So they actually cut uh, the ending, the original ending, like after I think it went out to theaters, like I think that like it was just like four minutes, but it mm -hmm. kind of gave you a little more context as to what happens. If you want to know, if you want to keep it a mystery, I can kind of tell you like what the intent was um, based on the footage. I want to know. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us. <laughs> Spoil so, it. <laughs> the original ending uh, had Wendy and Danny in the hospital, like down in Sidewinder and mm -hmm. the police are coming to talk to them and reveal that they could never find Jack's body which would imply that he's been absorbed into the hotel and that's why he's like in the photo. 
So yeah. it's like the hotel has sort of claimed him as sort of like a damned soul that is now part of, you know, the the history, so to speak. Uh, speaking of damn souls, the like hotel owner is like the devil, right? Like we all <laughs> Durant or whatever, or, or yeah. are you talking about stu- Omen? <laughs> like... Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yep. He may may or may not come back into play. Uh. In the the sequel. Um. Nice. So. Okay. I think it would have been better if they had done like a sixth sense sort of twist where. It's like Jack has always been dead. <laughs> he was actually a ghost the entire film that Wendy uh, and Danny yeah. just imagined, like together, just imagined that he was there and they were they hadn't processed the grief of him dying from some tragic accident. And so I don't know, or something. And I'm just know. thinking about those. I think I'm in love with a ghost. Like Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Married the ghost of Blackbeard. Like yeah. <laughs> I think that would have been yeah. interesting. And then that would have made more sense as to why he's in that photograph. But yeah. yeah. I think I prefer the movie pacing because it feels like a more gradual build there. Um whereas I feel like halfway through the book, you're like, okay, when when is this red rum happening? Because <laughs> it's <laughs> it's starting. <laughs> um and I feel bad. I feel like that's all I have to say in praise of the movie plot. I feel like the book plot was generally more interesting. You have it's it's a lot more layered, there's a lot more texture to it. I like that there's more unexplained, just random creepy shit, because I think again that's more confusing and, and, and scary um than what you see in the movie. Um I also feel like I, I don't know if we want to talk about the ending on its own, but the ending goes so much harder in the book than, than the movie. Yeah. You feel like they're truly escaping by the skin of their teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also like you see the full destruction of jack torrance like that could be an alternate title i think for this book is just the destruction of jack <laughs> torrance right like he completely loses his face and all semblance of humanity and um it, it merges with the hotel essentially the way i guess that original kubrick ending kind of did it but in a way that feels a lot more bloody and raw and messy and more overlook than just freezing outside yes yeah, and they start referring to him as it, like even before mm-hmm. he smashed his face in. Which mm-hmm. I like I love the sort of changes in the pronouns. Yeah. So yeah, I I'm gonna say book plot. Um I get annoyed sometimes when there's things in the book where I'm like, I'm not sure why this is happening or it's not fully explained, but mm-hmm. I think it works here because it just adds to the horror of it. Like, I think more horror movies should leave things unsaid than trying to, like, have some yeah. kind of very methodical in-universe explanation. Because often the in-universe explanation doesn't make that much sense either, and it just sounds kind of pedantic to deliver it. Yeah, I think that's one of the strengths of the film, honestly, is, like, is the straightforwardness. Um, Kubrick seems to be trusting the audience to just sort of roll with it and accept things as just they are 
which I think is kind of a smart choice if you're going to keep the film moving. If you had to stop and explain the backstory of every damn ghost, you're going to be there, <laughs> going to be there a while. So I like that you just see a, a guy in a bear or a dog costume blowing a dude in a tuxedo, and you're like, well, I don't know what that's about, but it that sort of makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> or the guy with the split open face that says "Great Party," like, isn't it? Like, yeah. That stuff I think works well. Um, it's probably a smart choice, honestly, because it's like at the end of the day, like, does it really matter? It's going to make you less scared. <laughs> Somebody that's in the overlook. No, not really. Like understanding that stuff isn't. Um, it's just kind of a, some added flavor, I think, like in the novel. Do you find the book or the movie scarier? I find the book more, I think disturbing was the word Will chose for it. And I agree. Very disturbing. I think that like the movie is more like capital S scary. Like, oh no, the madman with the axe kind of scary but uh it's just so much like more disgusting and revolting in the book yeah i'd agree with that the 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 film this is like one of the first things i got really into slasher movies as a young like probably too young (laughs) kid and then this was the first film that i was shown by my parents like as oh this is this is what like proper scary actually feels like because once you've seen enough slasher movies you get so des- desensitized to the gore and you can kind of see the plot from a mile away you're going to have your final girl and y- like y- you know that 95 percent of the cast is just fodder for like really cool like gory kills or like this was a movie that i did not know was going to happen and uh i think the scares are more thought thought out and just just better crafted um so yeah i find the film i think scarier but also i think i had more sustained dread in the book if that makes sense because there's just there's a lot going on and from scene to scene i think stephen king does a great job of building escalating tension um whereas like I don't know. Like the film does kind of like once once it hits the gas, it doesn't really let let up. Like from the time that Jack goes into room two three seven on, like it 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 pretty much um it, it, there's no real breathing room. It's just full tilt, which isn't a bad thing for a film. It's just like it's just a different pace. Anything you'd like to add before we pitch our final verdict here for the book or the film? I think it's time um, to take your medicine. No, kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't have The Shining, but I feel like I know what's going to win. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I, I feel like this is a hard decision to make because it sounds like we've been shitting all over the, the film. I think it's just kind of a testament to how good the, the book is. Um, I love The Shining, the film. I do think it's a classic for a reason. There's a lot of really interesting things. If you want a great hour and a half diversion, um, take a gummy and watch Room 237, which is a documentary that showcases three separate conspiracy theories about Stanley Kubrick's The Shining as a film that's about how we fake the moon landing, uh, a film that's about the slaughter of the, like the Native Americans. And then I forget what the third conspiracy theory is. The film's not taking any stance on these things. So don't feel like you're, you know, drinking Kool-Aid by watching it. It's just simply as saying, here's people's arguments for why these things are like embedded in The Shining. 
And it's a really interesting, um, <laughs> if nothing else, exercise and how somebody can really like read a lot into uh, a film. But they talk a lot about like some of the strange architectural choices and camera shots and, and things that are actually like it's, it's worth your time. Uh, but like I said, take a gummy. It'll make it more, more <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> interesting. Um, but yes, uh, that's a long winded way of me saying like, I think this is a rich film with a lot to it. Um, so I, I, regardless of how the votes go, I, I want to make it clear that I do love this film. And I think it's a, it's a classic for a reason, even if it sounds like we've been kind of shitting on it for, for a better part of an hour. So with that being said, quick votes. The book. I mean, I for basically the reason you said, like, it's an iconic film, but hot take, Stephen King is a great writer. I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very original thought that no one on the planet. <laughs> I will say, all right, so in defense of the film, um, I can appreciate the, like, like we talked about the set design and ama- like being amazed at just how real everything looks. And even going so far as to like the fake snow they used during, like it was actually very hot, right? And they did all these snow scenes, but they've used all this fake crap to make it look like snow. And just, so, you know, just the the commitment to the visual aesthetics of the film, I think are definitely like, you, you have to give credit where credit is due on that. Um, and overall the casting, like I agree with the casting. I think the pacing was good. So I will I will definitely uh we'll pull back and be a little bit nicer to the film in terms of that regard. But overall, between the two, I still have to say the book. Yeah. U- unanimous decision. And it's funny because uh before I sat down to like read the novel and take this on, I thought I was gonna have more conflict than I did, and a little bit, but after watching the film so closely, I think 10 minutes after we finished the book, uh, everything was so fresh. Um, in a lot of ways, I have appreciation for what a monumentous task it was to adapt that from book to screen. But there's no question in my mind that the novel's just a it's more it's the definitive telling of that story. Um even though I think like as time has gone on, most people kind of consider them to be almost like separate things, like they're apples and oranges. Mm-hmm. So if someone were to like, say, ask me like, what should I experience first? I would say whatever order you want, just know that if you're doing the book first, like you have to come at the film as this is just somebody really like taking the book as a, a shell and then crafting their own thing with it. Like it's a very different thing. So, well, thank you both for, watching a, a fairly lengthy film and reading a fairly lengthy novel to come up with this consensus and uh listeners if, if you've made it this far and you've done both of those things thank you as well um if you've not read the the novel sorry for the the spoilers there but you, sh- you still should it's 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 worth your time and, and worth the ride i think we did not spoil all 600 pages do not worry no no there's a <laughs> lot there's lots going on there that is for damn sure and, and with that, King, if you ever happen to hear our podcast, we understand where you're coming from when you got mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. Like, like I, I, I truly understand. Like, why he's had a hard time reconciling. He's gentled a little bit in his criticism of the film, um, but I, I can understand like why you wouldn't maybe as the creator care so much for that. 
Um, <laughs> last little aside, my favorite bit of like, I think the Ready Player One film is like, it's overall just okay from an okay novel, but it's one of my favorite like changes from book to screen of that was like one of the challenges was they have to go into like the film, the shining to like find like a, a key and because nice. it's a Warner's property, like for both, like they do such an awesome nice. job with that. It's really, really good. So even if you don't want to watch that entire film, yeah, it's Spielberg. Like it's probably worth your time, but like, if not, like just look up that like 10 minutes sequence. Cause <laughs> it's a ton of fun. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's play a quick round of keyword countdown and then we can get out of here. Uh, no card to be drawn because we're going to Scream Quest. More on that in just a few. Uh, so as a reminder to our listeners, Keyword Countdown is a game created by Gavin Murphy of RKG Video, who uh, I believe shortly will be releasing a full house by house review of Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando. They've put out a full walkthrough of The Last of Us House, which was a lot of fun to watch, um, but you should check out their channel. They do a lot of really great stuff. My favorite Let's Plays on the internet. Thank you, Gav, for allowing us to play Keyword Countdown. There is a theme to today's films, uh, and just for the sake of time, I'm probably going to prod us along a little bit faster. So... um, here we go. Film number one. Oh, I should explain to the audience how this works. In case it's your first time hearing keyword <laughs> countdown, I am going to uh, present to my fellow co-host a descending list of plot keywords taken from imdb.com for the films. They will get kind of generic and go from that to more specific and more uh, obvious to what the film is. So they start off a little bit obscure and then get easier. Hopefully by the 10th clue, if we get that far, they will have guessed it. The earlier in the uh, countdown they guess the film, the more points they get. So there we go. So film number one, clue number one, told in a flashback. Titanic. Saving Private Ryan. It, oh my God! It is Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> oh, whoa. holy shit! Oh my God! Well done. Whoa. Do you have the Shining Will? Yeah. Oh, I, is that our first ten pointer right there? We got maybe it's happened once before, but that's bow, a pretty bow, bow, thing. Bow, bow, bow. Way to go! Okay, it is Saving Private Ryan. Your remaining clues would have been Americans Abroad. Character name and title, tinnitus, reference to Edith Piaf, blindfold, shot through a wall, Molotov cocktail, teacher, World War II veteran. So, wow. Good job, Will. Thank uh, you. <laughs> next film, Shapeshifter. The thing. <laughs> the thing. Um... I'm blanking on the name of it. Annihilation. Mimic. It is not. Good guess. <laughs> not not that. <laughs> 2D animation is your next clue. Nimona. Nope. Two frame Roger Rabbit. Nope. <laughs> next clue. Character name and title. Did that twice in a row. Just to be an asshole. Tanya. Nope. Gone nothing. All right. 
Next clue, waterfall. The last unicorn. It is not. I love that this next one is actually a clue on IMDb, but it is planetary alignment. Hercules? <laughs> it is Hercules. Nice. <laughs> nice. Way to go, May. All right. So that it's is very into Meg. Six <laughs> points. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think like anybody with a pulse was probably into Meg just a little bit, at least. Like <laughs> your remaining clues would have been father son relationship. Sword and sandal, muse, flying horse, based on Greek myth. Well nice. done, May. Swinging back, Wee. love it. Got Your next ass. film, clue number one: good versus evil. Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> it is not episodes one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> Seven eight nine. Lord of the Rings. Clue, nope. <laughs> Clue number two. Let me say this in the the voice of Laszlo from um, uh, what we do in the shadows. Bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> Bisexual. That's your second clue. Uh, Thor, love and thunder. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Nope. All right. Clue number three. American South. All right. Gone with the wind. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the one. <laughs> or which makes this next clue even more funny to like think about in the context of that movie. But uh dancing with dead body. Gone with the wind. Which is <laughs> finally <laughs> <laughs> which is also uh a great IMDB plot keyword. Damn. I'm struggling. Okay. True. Grit. Next clue. <laughs> <laughs> father daughter relationship can you do a quick recap good versus evil bisexual american south dancing with dead body father daughter relationship yeah still got nothing next clue transformation the little mermaid <laughs> no <laughs> it's not next clue Levitation. Am I going to be mad when we figure out what this is? Uh, you may not have seen this, but I think you could both get it by clue 10. So. Okay. It is a banger. It's a good one. <laughs> uh, clue number eight. Killer child. Killer child. Okay. Penultimate clue. Reporter. Reporter. Oh my gosh. Great. Man, I'm just going to start throwing stuff out there. Highlander. <laughs> nope. Get your hand on the buzzer because here comes clue number 10. Vampire. Oh. Um, interview with a vampire. It is interview oh. with the vampire. Which oh, is uh, uh, amazing. Like, Does it I count like if I don't say it down. completely correct? <laughs> yeah. I thought you said it correct. What did you say? Um, whatever the right answer. Is. <laughs> I thought you did. You say interview with the vampire, like T H E. That's right. Yep. That's correct. Okay. Ooh, I heard. Yeah. Oh, afterwards, or at least I thought I did. So. I know. I, it's, like, oh, no. I when, for the longest time I thought that was the title until I saw oh. it. 
Um, I can't wait to see that TV show, which is now temporarily on Max. Um, I think it's like a A and E or T. I don't know. It's from a different AMC. network, but they're like showcasing it just for. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. AMC for um, yeah. just the month of September and October. Um, Sweet. So. All right. So a quick point recap: May has six, Will has eleven, all to play for here. Here we go. Next film. Trail of Blood. Predator. Not a bad I guess, wish. But... <laughs> <laughs> if it bleeds, can kill it. All right. Next clue. Voiceover narration. Blade Runner. No. Depends on the cut. <laughs> Hey, next clue. Scene of the crime. Scene of the crime. Hmm. Who framed Roger? <laughs> <laughs> it is not. Alrighty. Next clue. Chased by a dog. Lethal weapon. <laughs> nope. Not that there was any actual, like, voiceover narration or anything i just felt like saying it next clue t-boned t-boned no country for old men <laughs> it is oh, country for old nights men. oh i believe that is six close. points for may one two three four five Ooh. yeah that is six points for may which i believe you took it may ahead you took so 12 it. to 11 remaining Ooh, uh, clues would have been hidden transmitter air vent coin flipping into the air homicidal <laughs> maniac compressed air can final film very nice. close game y'all yeah yo that's awesome Blue number one I'm gonna tell you right Reference. now, babe, regardless of what happens, like that was badass. So <laughs> sorry, just yeah, that you guys are getting right early, now. man. I love it. Yeah, love it. yeah it's, yeah, it's yeah. not as badass as your like shining insta <laughs> 10 pointer. But right? see, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be where we're it wouldn't be where we're at right now. <laughs> <laughs> Goes to show you anything can happen yep. in keyword yeah. countdown. <laughs> right. All right, oh, final God. film. <laughs> Clue number one, reference to Michelangelo. Inception. No. Clue number two, honeycomb. Clue number three, mistreatment. Clue number four is an another like great one that I discovered exists today, and that is spoiled brat. <laughs> spoiled brat. Home alone. This is not Home Alone. <laughs> oh, right. Clue number five. Horse and carriage. This is killing me. Same. Clue number six. Forced marriage. Clue number seven. Single father. Quick recap. Reference to Michelangelo. Honeycomb. Mistreatment. Spoiled brat, horse and carriage, forced marriage, single father. Crimson Peak. Not a bad guess, but that is not the one. Your next clue is Palace. 
A Christmas no. prince. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> and here we are on to the penultimate masked ball. Great Gatsby. <laughs> That's my best ball. Not the one. Okay. 50 Hands Shades of Grey. Nope. Hands on the buzzer. One more re- uh, recap. Reference to Michelangelo, Honeycomb, Mistreatment, Spoiled Brat, Horse and Carriage, Horse Marriage, Single Father, Palace, Mass Ball. Final clue. Glass Slipper. Oh, Cinderella. Cinderella. It is not Cinderella. Oh, shit. Give you guys one more guess apiece, and I shall reveal the title. Alrighty, <laughs> it is Ever After: A Cinderella Aww. Story, which is a film Man. I had not thought about in ages. Uh, I don't I think I've been. seen that. Oh, with Drew Barrymore, it's awful. Uh, I mean, I dated somebody who thought this was the greatest film since sliced bread mm-hmm. and like the height of like romance. And it's a terrible, terrible movie. Um, but like, I don't know. Um, people in my like sort of like that age of high school loved it, or particularly I would say like women. I don't, I don't know too many dudes that loved it, but like my mom, sister, like like all in that era like loved it. But um, yeah, it is a uh, telling of Cinderella. With Drew Barrymore. Oh, that's that's just because who of who Prince Charming is. That's not for the plot. Yeah. I'm looking oh at no, I trust me, that. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so anybody want to take a stab at the what the theme was? So we had Saving Private Ryan, Hercules, Interview with a Vampire, No Country for Old Men, and Ever After. Movies, people based on <laughs> what? <laughs> No. Sorry, I was going to say based on a almost. Book. <laughs> they were almost all adaptations except Saving Private Ryan. I realized that was kind of accidental, but um, uh, movies, people, Chris has dated, liked. <laughs> no. Nice. Oh, wow. <laughs> so when you combine them, Saving Private Ryan, Hercules, Interview with the Vampire, No Country for Old Men, and Ever After, you get Shine. <laughs> just a really silly stupid oh, way to connect it and come up wow. with my films for keyword countdown. <laughs> uh well done both of you that was a nail biter of a game um yeah thank you for for bearing with me audience thank you for bearing with us for what is bound to be probably a little bit of a longer episode but that's probably going to be the case for most of our october episodes because scream quest is back and it is all about the double features, baby. Our first <laughs> guest will be Mr. Isaac Thorne returning. Thank you, Isaac, for coming Woo! back. What, what? We are not sure as of the recording of this podcast. So I'm probably going to insert a, a little extra bit with just me what our second film is going to be. But the first is going to be The Pope's Exorcist. So I will insert that clip now. <laughs> and there you have it. That's our second film. It is a banger if I do say so myself. Chris here just popping in to say that our second film will be Talk to Me. Can't wait to talk about those two films. We will, of course, have other guests on throughout the month. 
and we'll be doing double features on a number of different horror categories. So looking forward to that. As always, we appreciate your support. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Be sure or be sure to share. There we go. Like and subscribe the podcast. And until next week, we love you. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you.